0: Episode twenty, Wilbur. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a
1: constant irritant. Then transfer out, freak.
2: Two,
0: true freaks. You belong to
1: the circus, right next to the dog-faced boy. I have come
2: here to chew bubble gum and kick ass. And I'm all out of
0: bubblegum. Sheep flying, no good, rotten, fork blushing, low life, snake licking, dirt eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blunt, sucking, dog kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat ass, bug eyed, stiff legged, spotted
2: stack of
0: monkeys.
2: And now, together by live simulation via the internets, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell
0: Hello and welcome back to Two True Freaks. I'm your co-freak, Scott Gardner, and with me as always is my co-freak, the man known to Interpol is the nursing home pimp, Chris Honeywell.
1: <laughs> um, that's allegedly known. Oh, yeah and that, We'll leave I it at to, that to, because I can't comment anymore because it's a currently open court case.
0: That's right. I meant to throw I'd in the word. I'd love to tell that whole
1: story, too, so, and one day I will.
0: Now your lawyer says don't do it. Not yet. And joining us to discuss Superman and uh, whatever the hell else just happens to come up in conversation, some random dickhead that we pulled off the forum, known as Green capped on the CGS boards, Mr. Eric Peterson. Hello, Eric. Hey, guys. Welcome.
2: Uh, welcome. What the, why am I saying welcome? Welcome to your show. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I, I really am a random dickhead. How about that? <laughs> well, thank, thanks for having <laughs> me on, though.
0: Oh, we're delighted to have you. We're delighted that you're here. We, we're very excited to uh, have you with us and uh, and eager to get into the topic. So this uh, this episode is going to be very free, very loosey-goosey. It's going uh, under our, our Comics Monthly Monday header, but really, um, we're, I guess the main topic, or at least what we're going to start with, is uh, uh, somehow or other this came up in a con- uh, uh, forum conversation that... Uh, neither eric or i are particularly excited or on board with the the current things the current goings-on in the superman titles and the superman universe and uh i was just delighted to to know someone that was like-minded on this because it feel you know Chris and I are really getting this this bad reputation of being contrarians with every other you know freaking geek out there, and it gets a little old sometimes. So it's nice to know I'm not the only one who's who's not all drinking the Kool Aid on this Superman thing that's going on right now. I'm just not fucking happy with it. Um, but I've got my you know my opinions on it. But uh, I, I want to hear from uh, from you, Eric. Uh, what what's going on with you about the uh, the Superman books?
2: I. I certainly I'm a Superman fan and I've been following him, you know, for years and years since the Burn reboot after Crisis and I I tell you, it's I I appreciate the Silver Age, you know, I I can go back and look at the old showcases and they're fun, they really are fun stories, but I don't want them in my comics now and Mm -hmm. it just seems that you know, under the direction of Jeff Johns ever since the Infinite Crisis and the one year later, which which to me, you know, it kind of started good. It looked interesting, but they started working in the Silver Age influences and started bringing back a lot of stuff, and then they started bringing in things from the the films. And I, it's just, you know, the words on the page might be well written, but I'm just not a good overall feel for the the whole direction of the series. And it's just, it got to be less and less entertaining every time I read one. So I just ended up dropping the line recently.
0: I, I'm glad to hear you say it that way, the feel, because that's exactly what it is for me. It's it's weird. It's not something I can put my finger on. It's a feeling I get, and it's an uneasy feeling. I, I just don't like how I feel at the end of an issue. and And it really does have to do with that that injection of both the Silver Age and, sadly, the to me the goofier elements of the Silver Age and the movies. And you know, I I I came to a conclusion the other day of what it is exactly that's bugging the shit out of me about it. And, and you mentioned the Burn reboot. Now I was a Superman fan for you know all my childhood right up through the years, but kind of a, 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 a kind of a um inconsistent fan you know i'd, I'd pick up mm-hmm. the stuff that looked good but once crisis was over and burn rebooted superman i've been on board from start to finish you know i rate right through man of steel right up to just this story arc i've been on board superman nonstop. i've got it probably near i would say probably 95 percent or better of all of his appearances, not just his own title, but, I mean, if he popped up in, I don't know, Nightwing or something, I'd pick it up, you know, because I'm that big of a Superman fan, a post-Crisis Superman fan.
2: Yeah, it's pretty hardcore.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I I just, I love the character. He's my favorite. But I got to thinking, what's bugging the hell out of me with this thing is, imagine when Byrne did his reboot of Superman. Instead of, you know, here it was 1986, What if his reboot was a reboot that incorporated all the elements of the Adventures of Superman TV show from the 1950s? Because that's kind of what's happening right right now. Here we are 30 years out from Superman the movie, and suddenly the reboot that's taking place right now is basically rebooting it to become the Superman of that movie. And I'm going, well, wait a minute, you know? Now, granted, that's the Superman I grew up with. It's the Superman of my childhood. It's the one I most identify with. But Jesus Christ, that's 30 years ago.
2: No, absolutely.
0: So it's just as weird as if, you know, in in, in 1986, if they had gone with a 30-year-old Superman or, you know, Superman in the in the 60s, was based on the superman from the kirk allen serial that's how strange it is you know you're you're jumping back to
1: can I a third year old in... yeah go ahead because <clears throat> this it, it sounds like you know when somebody has a favorite band that's not like a really big band but all of a sudden that band has an album that's huge and not that superman's really had anything but superman has become this sort of Uh, has fans across this wide demographic do you think they're just trying to to make everybody happy to throw in a little element of whatever different way somebody could have found superman so that every kind of superman fan
2: gets a little bit so in other words you're 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 saying that we sound like those whiny little bitches who go oh (laughs) they sold out my favorite band they sold out i didn't say that (laughs) Maybe I'm reading in those, those words. No.
0: <laughs> no, I agree with, with. Yeah, no, no, no there I, is some truth to I, that. I, I, well, there, I, I, is, but,
1: but there the is. is, but the thing is, but the thing is, I've often, th- you know, I've been, but those the, those whiny fans have a good point because you have, in the in the if we're going to follow the band metaphor since I started it, is that uh, you know, if that band had a certain sound and they have to throw in all the throw in bits of that album, the parts that were popular to make, you know, from playing a club to playing a stadium, but to keep all Mm -hmm. the stadium people happy, they have to throw in a little bit of everything. And all of a sudden they have a whole different, different show and it's not their natural, you know, it's, it's something built to, to try to please everybody instead of something trying to serve the character and the storyline, which basically any kind of story, you know, like that, if you're going to be really successful, with it anyway you should basically serve the character <laughs> yeah.
0: oh yeah well my, my you know, I, I i understand where you're coming from with that and i agree with it to a degree but for me personally that's not where i'm coming from with this because i know what that emotion feels like i, I felt that way say like right after burton's batman film for example and all of a sudden the world went bat crazy mm-hmm. I felt yeah. that emotion because I felt like, where the fuck were you people for the last twenty years while I've been taking shit for liking Batman? Now all of a sudden, all you people are wearing your fucking Batman T-shirts and They're all. Called you know, I'm a fans. Batman fan. I'm like, ah, fuck all you people. You know, I mean, I've been there. I've been in the trenches all this time taking shit for being a Fighting. fan. Fighting. Yeah, exactly. So I don't. But it, this this isn't the same emotion well, to me. This is more like. <laughs> well,
2: here I mean I'll use the band analogy too uh-huh. and it's to me it's more like in that regard say the beatles i mean the beatles of their first couple albums were radically different from like the white album right so so what if a producer came along and said okay we're gonna make the next great beatles album Uh guys i want you to sound just like you did on your very first album and they'd be like you know what the fuck? and but i mean even if they did it it just wouldn't Sound right because they had grown past that. Right. There had been years under the belt, <laughs> and it would just seem just Forced out of place.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, it was the music would still be good, I guess, but it just would not seem right because somebody's just kind of forcing it into something that is just so past, it's just it's so not. gone.
0: Well, the, the sad thing too is that. I really like Jeff Johns. You know, I I think Mm -hmm. he's definitely one of the top writers in comics right now. You know, I'm not knocking the man at all, but this to me is his one misstep. You know, somehow this just isn't, you know, I I appreciate everything he did with Green Lantern. I mean, I'm amazed Mm -hmm. by Green Lantern right now because I swore off Green Lantern in a in a just pissed off state of mind, I was like, "Fuck Green Lantern! I'm never reading it again."
2: You were the big Kyle fan, right? Oh yes, absolutely. Okay, yeah.
0: I still am. Right. But the thing is, they they've reworked it to such a degree that I can forgive the shit with Hal because everything else is so good. Plus, I still have Kyle too, the core, so that, it right. works, you know. But this, you know, there's just so many elements I. I, it's just rubbing me the wrong for one thing I want to know I want to see the one person uh, which one of you assholes out there in the listening audience who the fuck missed Steve Lombard <laughs> This I hated that fucking guy and there was no death in the, in the crisis on infinite earth that I cheered more than Steve fucking Lombard and now after all these years that prick is back I, I gotta hate that fucking guy. Why did they bring him back? <laughs> to just to piss you off. It. Just to piss me off.
2: Yeah. Well, I think there was a note. You know, it's like Jeff, please, memo, uh, piss Scott off, bring. It. <laughs> yeah.
0: Probably, I wouldn't doubt it. But um, well, no. Also, I I don't know how where exactly your 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 point of abandonment was. I mean, mine was. Uh, I read it right up through. The when they started the numbering thing again, mm-hmm. the last issue I read was the one with the c- cover diamond of number one. It was an issue of Superman. It was like 681 or something like that. So I read the new Krypton thing and all that. And... Cut
2: off just before that.
0: <laughs> I'm telling you, man, nothing pisses me off more with <laughs> Superman's portrayal is when they portray Superman as yes he's super strong and super this and super that but he's also kind of a fucking meathead I hate when they portray him that way Mm -hmm. Superman is also now I don't necessarily want him to be super intelligent to where you know that that like he was in the in the the silver age you know when he was very aloof and you know lived in his fortress because he was so removed from Mm -hmm. humanity but at the same rate when they make him an just a dumbass.
1: He's kind now, of actually been a renaissance man sort of character where he's, yeah. you know, learned many languages, you know.
0: Yeah. Right. But the the thing that's with this story, all right. Superman he he recently rescued the bottle city of Kandor
2: Dundor, from Brainiac.
0: You know, th- this is, you know, despite now that we've been going, you know, 20 years since mm-hmm. Burnt's reboot. This is where the Bottle City has first appeared, you know, post-crisis. So he's rescued the Bottle City, and the Bottle City was enlarged on Earth, near the Fortress of Solitude. So now you've got an entire city of, I'm presuming, thousands, probably tens of thousands of, can- mm-hmm. of uh, Kryptonians, suddenly living on the Earth that are slowly building up to the same power level as Superman. And in the last issue I read, Superman was confronted by the Justice League. And they're basically going, uh, Superman, we think we have a potential serious fucking problem here. You know, we've yeah. got 10,000 Kryptonians loose on Earth. And by odds, now,
1: one of them is going to be an asshole at least. Yeah. Well, you
0: know, not long ago, I mean, in in DC Comics time the Earth was utterly fucking ravaged by General Zod and his minions, and it was like a handful of Kryptonians. There's like, I don't know, like maybe a dozen or so. Sure, right. that's all it would take. <laughs> planet over, right? And near, just about destroyed the planet. Now you've got 10,000 of these assholes loose. What does Superman tell them? Don't worry about it. I, 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 don't, I don't see any problem. I, I got it all under control. It, 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 you know, don't sweat it. I wish I had the issue in front of me to actually quote it because it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It was an abs. I mean, yes, I like him to be portrayed as kind of innocent. He's very trusting. He he sees the good in people. I like that portrayal, but at the same rate, innocent not to the doesn't mean inf- stupidity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it doesn't mean that he's a dumbass. You know. So
2: so what you're saying is when you go up against a, a powerful and um, irrational force, that uh, diplomacy's not going to work. Sometimes you actually have to use a little force behind it in advance. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to him. It'll be okay. I'll buy him all coffee.
0: Well, I mean, Has he not noticed, right off the bat, they had a very elitist attitude right off the get-go. Before mm-hmm. the, their powers even started to manifest, they basically were already looking down their nose at, at earth, Yeah.
2: You
0: know, and... Historically speaking, whether it's true history, whether it's DC Comics history, whether it's Star Trek history, historically speaking, a superior race typically fucks over the inferior race. I if you like know this in,
1: f- in, in, in fiction history.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. That's right. Well, even in in real history. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when the when, when the um, Oh, whatever whatever the fuck you call them. When the explorers first hit the Americas, you know, they were looked yeah. at as gods, and they pretty much rolled with it, yeah. you know? I mean, they, they pretty much looked at it as, oh, here's a bunch of ignorant savages. We can fuck them over and take their land, and they did it, you know? Now, that's a true historical thing. You know, that's part of real history, but also when you look at histories like... You know DC cosmic history, for right. example. Sure, you can find a story out there where this type of shit has happened in DC history. It's happened in Star Trek. You know the, you know the Klingons or whoever come to some ignorant fucks on some planet and they take their planet away from him and slave everybody. You know, or in Star Wars, you know when the Empire steps in and puts the Wookies all in chains and makes a fucking labor force out of them. You know, so. Superman, again, he's not a fucking dumbass. You know, does he not see that his own uncle is looking at it and going, ah, eh, these fucking earthlings will run this place in a week, you know? And that's the attitude he has right from the get go and Superman's telling the Justice League, like, eh, 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 don't worry about it. It's not a problem. These guys are all I- right. I vouch for these dudes. What?
1: 10,000
0: know, I- of these assholes that you don't even know?
1: Maybe he has some secret ace in the hole where, you know, some sort of secret kandorian shot collar <laughs>
2: yeah can... according to the solicitations he's gonna run away
0: <laughs> oh really oh see i oh. I, I bailed I, I just i haven't even looked at the solicitations to be honest i i, I totally bailed and
2: i guess i can't be considered spoilers or what i mean i don't know what your opinion is on like reading previews or hearing plans well, i mean i check them and...
0: i check them out because you know sometimes i feel like they're, they're working really hard you know to, to pull me back in you know right like it's all done for me, you know. But I mean, seriously, because I, I saw one the other day. It was a solicitation coming up for. Uh, I guess there's some new. They're 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 bringing in or bringing back or whatever, you know, like the 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 whole reimagining thing with. with uh, um, God damn it! What were their names? The superheroes of Candor. Oh um, no, it's not
2: reimagining. There, I guess they're there. That's part of the. The base story now, Nightwing and Nightwing and Flamebird. Flame, yeah, yeah. now
0: I post crisis. I mm-hmm. loved those guys because they they used to be they used to. I don't know how far back they go, but I remember them from Superman Family. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember who the artist was. I want to say it might have been Rich Buckler. Hmm. I can't remember, but anyway, whoever did that strip back in the old Superman Family days. Damn, I love that. I mean, it was just cool. It was it was the Batman and Robin of Candor.
2: Well, then you so, might want to get back on because they're going to be the stars of action for the next year.
0: Nah, I, but see, it's just it's a matter of. In this instance, I, I just don't think he can go home again, and I no, don't. No. I don't like the direction. Burns' <laughs> reinterpretation is my mm. Superman.
2: No, I agree. Same with me.
0: And, I, and I'm just, you know.
2: Well, here's I, where I, here's where I think Johns is is. And I have another theory on John's with Superman, but I mean, just John's in general, I think almost goes a little overboard. And again, like you said, I think he's a great writer. Um, JSA has been like that's my fucking top of everything DC (laughs) book. You know, love that book. And a lot of Jeff Johns written stuff are what kind of brought me back into a lot of the DC titles. Mm -hmm. But I I don't know whether it's just him or whether it's editorial direction. But it seems like he's just working overtime to try to make everything work. Now, I like continuity, Mm -hmm. but I don't think you have to bring every element of everything in and try to have it make sense. You know, you don't need to have Nightwing and Flamebird in just because they existed somewhere in a new form. You don't need to bring crypto back necessarily, whether it was a good issue or not. You know, it's I don't know. It's.
0: Well, I, I agree with what you're saying, but the problem is is that, to my mind, Superman wasn't fucking broke. Everything no, no, it wasn't. These other titles worked because those characters had – somewhere along the line, those characters had broken down. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think Superman did up until um, – Loeb did that Superman. It was like Superman one fifty-seven or some shit. It was the one with the the truth about Krypton issue. I don't know if you have read that one. I don't.
2: No, it's not ringing any bells. What mm-hmm. were they?
0: I, I'll, I'll have to look it up to get you the exact number. Mm-hmm. I want to say that was the issue, but it's the one. It was a it was an awesome cover by um, Ed McGinnis, and it shows Superman and he's doing like a Hulk smash kind of pose. Mm-hmm. And on one side it was the in the background is the classic burn krypton, you know, the you know the spires and all that. And then the other side was a classic silver age krypton, you know. And this was the issue that that reimagined Superman. And it was weird because all of a sudden Superman went into the Phantom Zone. And encountered this weird, um, I don't know, it was like a weird pre crisis krypton that existed in the Phantom Zone. This is where the current crypto comes from. It was this bizarre fucking story. And it was, it suddenly, after working so hard to, to, you know, make Superman make sense and have right. a steady continuity and all this shit all of a sudden they had thrown it all on its ear and all of a sudden it didn't it didn't make sense
2: well this and- is where i think marvel has something over and i'm not reading a lot of marvel books but just as a whole you know going through my comics history i think marvel has something over dc is because dc seems to fuck up every time they try to st- Step backwards or incorporate older things. Like you said, with Byrne, he came up with a logical backdrop for Superman and everything moved forward. You didn't you, you know, you might introduce characters of the same name just to kind of give a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, but it all moved forward. Right. And then when you, you start doing pocket universes, and you know, and oh look, the Silver Age really still exists, and oh, even though we eliminated the multiverse, Earth Twelve still exists, and it, it, then it's just like what? And they create more problems, and then they're spending all their time trying to damage control these continuity problems that they've created just by letting somebody go off and come up with a, you know, some sort of whack ass story.
0: This, uh, I was off by 10 issues. It's Superman second series number 166, March 2001 issue. This is where shit went wrong right here. I I have a feeling, I don't know this for sure. I could be dead wrong. This is just off. This is my gut instinct. I think this shit had something to do with the lawsuit with the Schusters
2: Mm.
0: or or Seagulls or whoever, or both, or whatever the hell the deal was. But this was the issue where suddenly, after you know, tw- well by this point this would be fifteen years after fifteen years of very faithful continuity going right from Burns' Man of Steel, suddenly we a, a monkey wrench was thrown into the works where suddenly the Silver Age Wayne boring era. Krypton, you know, Jor-El with the big sun on his chest and all that Mm -hmm. was suddenly thrown back in and they tried to somehow half-assed marry the two and it just didn't work and this is where shit went weird and this is where Johns, I think, is trying to pick up the pieces and make the two marry up and somehow to me it just doesn't work and See, I don't want to dump this all on John's because I I think he's doing the best he can with what he's got to work with, and I think he is working <clears throat> under some sort of mandate from DC. To... Do you
1: think that's the toughest gig in the world to be a? Oh, it would yes. be like it's oh, like sure. somebody coming and saying, "All right, you have to write uh, a new Mickey Mouse cartoon, you know, and it has to make sure that you know Disney approves of it." All right, go, you know, it's the most iconic superhero ever so and i imagine I, I, do.
0: I absolutely i feel for anybody that tackles superman because you're you're not just writing whatever but see my, my beef with this whole thing it, it, it goes beyond a lot of what we've already talked about it, it goes beyond reintroducing the silver age stuff it goes beyond incorporating the movie stuff it goes beyond continuity, well to a certain degree my I think my beef all owes back to the fact of God damn it, what was the crisis on infinite Earth's for, right. if not for Superman, you know, granted, there were other continuity issues they wanted to address, you know the fact that the bat that the Atlantis that Batman might go visit is not the same atlantis that Earth- that Aquaman. Ruled over, although they're supposed to be on the same planet. You know, little shit like that. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, Crisis on Infinite Earths, and you can argue any point you want, but really, it was it was to reinvigorate and and scrape the barnacles off of Superman to so basically sure, make him relevant again, make him cool again, <laughs> make him, him they, sell again. <laughs> exactly, and they did that masterfully. Yes, they did. They rebooted their universe more or less. They they rebooted Superman. Byrne did a wonderful job, gave the character the best origin and the best fresh start he'd ever had. And DC said, and and for the longest time, it really felt like they were living the promise of this is it from now on we're Marvelized, you know, in, in the mm-hmm. sense of like you said, you know, Marvel. Yeah, they fucked around here and there. But for the most part, you can pick up Fantastic Four number one. And from that point on, their universe pretty much builds on that, you know, and and that's your starting point. And they didn't have, you know, world uh, universe changing crisis events where all of a sudden continuity was thrown on its ear. And DC's Fantastic Four number one was supposed to be basically... Well, I mean, I, you well, the could... new one
2: would have been Man of Steel, number yeah, one. Yeah,
0: pretty much. Yeah, I, I was going to say that. And then I thought, well, I don't know if you could really say. It, yeah, no, I,
2: guess... I think it because, I mean, that was, that was the editorial mandate yeah. back then was just, you know. And that's the thing is the defenders of the Silver Age and the Golden Age with DC, they'll say, well, DC has 40 extra years of history. Well, which is true, but Crisis on Infinite Earths came along and that was the whole goal to say we don't have to deal with
0: that anymore. Right. And, you know. I, I'm I'm old enough now, and I think with some of the things that are going on right now, I I feel for those people for the first time I think ever, I finally understand what it must have felt like, to people that were say 40 years old when I was 18 and loving crisis. Mm -hmm. These people had grown up with the pre-crisis shit, and suddenly they were going, oh, what the fuck? Exactly. You know, you're rebooting the universe for these assholes? I've been here for 40 years. Now I feel that way. Now I'm the 40-year-old going, what the fuck? I've been reading this shit all my life, and I've been your faithful fan, and now all of a sudden you're going to turn it all on its ear for these up-and-coming assholes? What the hell? But you you know,
2: I would appreciate that. And and, I mean, I understand what you're saying, because I've felt kind of the same way, but What I don't get about it is, okay, they want to reboot it currently, you know, Infinite Crisis or Final Crisis or whatever is going to be the actual reboot. They want to reboot it for a new audience and make it relevant again and make it sell again. So why are they bringing in, like you said, a 30-year-old movie and 30- and 40-year-old continuity elements? Is I mean I would respect them more whether I like it or not. I think I would respect them more if they just pulled the plug again, started it again, and just said, Okay, here's the new Superman. Now he you know, he's a blogger and you know, blah 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 or whatever. You know, he works in a Starbucks by day and he blogs by night and saves people.
0: <laughs> well, I think Chris said something not long ago about Unless I misinterpreted him. I, I think what he was getting at was some... I, I don't know, Chris. I don't want to speak for you, but you said something about basically bringing in the elements that kind of everybody feels like they know about Superman, whether whether it's some grandmother in Idaho or well, whether right. it's, some, it's being the character for 30 years. There's certain elements that we all expect of well, Superman. And, the, like-
1: and there's people who... There's like the teeny, There's like... There's some... And, and, you know, you might write them off because, and I might write them off, but there's some teeny boppers or 20 somethings whose only exposure ever is through, um, you know, that WB show from Smallville, right? you know, or something like that, you know, which is, oh, I can't even watch it. You know, I've tried to watch it saying, ah, this could be interesting and I can't watch it. It's just so cheesy but you know it's just amazing but that's reaching superman is reaching right that but that
0: goes back to what eric says now i could as much as that would fucking piss me off i could more understand if suddenly this reboot that john's is doing was gonna put it all in line with smallville rather than put it all in line with a 30 year old movie and a 40 year -old old continuity i don't
2: and that's what birthright was, wasn't it? The I
0: never the, read. I do have you it, know, I read read it. I never read either. I still haven't read it. I, I've heard such horrible yeah. things about it.
2: I just. But I, I mean, it essentially sounds like it was kind of the small villaization of uh, of Superman. My understanding
0: funny. is that they ba- they backpedaled on that. That they that at first that they said that this was the new continuity, and then so many people raised a, a pitch to mm-hmm. bitch about it that they backpedaled and said, nope, never mind. Uh-huh. Kidding. <laughs> But exactly. it's
2: funny because that issue of Superman that you mentioned, you you know, you said it came out in two thousand one. Smallville started in two thousand one, so maybe there was a connection there too. I mean, maybe that was part of the whole. Oh, we need to redesign Superman.
0: So I'm trying to put a, a positive spin on this, I guess. Where where do you? where do you think they fucked up and what? where do you think they could turn it around for guys like us that suddenly feel disenfranchised with the whole thing?
2: Well, I, I, will say, I was listening and I cannot remember what podcast it was. It was probably Raging Bullets and I apologize if it wasn't. Um, but it was a interview with um, uh, the current penciler of Supergirl. It was a Jamal. Jamal Eagle. Eagle, Yeah. And he mentioned that there is a editorial like, two or three year Superman Bible that they're working from. Now, if, like, if all these events and all this Silver Age stuff that's creeping in, not only in Superman, but, you know, with Morrison and his Batman run, if all this is actually part of some sort of bigger plan that maybe is, like, I don't know, like reflective of the crises, and it's just leading up to maybe not a crisis event, but just some sort of, you know, basically if there's like a positive outcome of this, and it just kind of kicks it back to a good, clean, not having to worry about the, you know, the the old stuff, and just moving forward, and not having to explain anything much anymore. I, you know, if, if it's good, and it doesn't, you know, just piss us off so much. I, I could live with that and just say, you know, okay, I, I was wrong. I didn't give it the three years that I had to give it. But, <laughs> you know, and and there's certainly potential for good stories. I, you know, I feel badly that I haven't kept up on the James Robinson books, the Superman title, because I've heard that's actually been decent.
0: I didn't and for it e, myself. E, but that's I just... mean,
2: even though it crosses over with, you know, the current, the, you know, Kryptonians story. I don't know. I, I do like James Robinson a lot as a writer, which makes it sound like I don't like, Jeff Johns is a writer but I don't know. I mean if if they can get past it and just focus on Superman and I, that's one of the things too that I've noticed, you know, you were talking about bringing back, you know, Lombard and bringing back all these other characters. It it seemed to me in reading the Superman titles recently that they were getting away from Superman being the focus of the story or Clark being the main character in the story it just seemed to be a lot of secondary characters doing stuff and him just kind of being there going uh-huh uh-huh yeah they've, uh-huh.
0: they've also made him back into the douchebag can,
1: oh, too. yeah i, I can't I hate
0: that. that you can I mess mean,
1: around with secondary characters a lot more a lot of times they're a lot more interesting because you can't you can kill them you can do things to change your lives and stuff where you are can as much with Superman. Well,
0: that's true, but at the same rate, he doesn't have anybody likable o- outside of your standard Lois Perry and and Jimmy. Mm-hmm. He, all of his no, nah, uh, you, you you know, feel free to interrupt if you disagree with me, Eric. But I don't think any of his secondary characters outside of those three are particularly fucking likable. You no. got Steve Lombard, who's a fucking asshole. Which he's supposed to be. I'll give him that. Or, yeah, granted, he is in character. Then you've got Cat Grant, which why the fuck did they bring her back? <laughs> I hate her too. Mm-hmm. And then you've got um, Ron. Uh, oh, what the hell is his name? The, oh. the he, he's the black guy. And, and yeah, I'll, yeah, the, maybe, maybe you know the answer to this. Producer
2: of the TV Did he
0: and Lucy Lane get married and had oh, a kid?
2: That I don't know.
0: In the latest issue yeah. I read, or the last issue I read, or one of the last ones I read, it had Lucy in it. And she has now taken a job. She's uh, she's in the military or something. Right. And she was talking with Lois. And I got to thinking, wait, so, I'm missing something here. When the hell did they get divorced or get unmarried or whatever the hell? I could swear that she and mm-hmm. Ron were married and had a child. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, she's in the service now, basically trying to fulfill her father's dream. And that's another thing, now that I think about it. Sam Lane is back right how the fuck is he back he's dead for one thing yeah and anybody that says well we never saw the body Apparently or anything, yeah <laughs> there was a there was a john byrne drawn issue i think it was written by uh what's her name gill stone
2: this, this it was it was the autopsy it
0: was yeah tag him him tag came, him. No, no, His ghost came back and saved Lana. <laughs> Lois, rather. Right? Lois was in like Oh, you're R dead
1: act. when your ghost comes back, <laughs> man. I'm
0: just telling you, man. I hate when they do this shit. They did the same thing. <laughs> as much as I think it's cool that, uh, what's his name? Jason Todd came back. Mm-hmm. There was an issue. Do um, you remember that big crossover event they had in the annuals a few years back? It was called Ghosts. Right. And all the characters were haunted by one character or another. Mm-hmm. Batman was haunted by Jason Todd. Now, all of a sudden, Jason Todd was never really dead or whatever the hell the story is with that. They even had the same sort of thing with with Bucky years ago. Uh, there was a, at mm-hmm. least one Cap story or maybe it was an Avengers story where the ghost of Bucky came back. Now, go, now Bucky never died. He was saved by the fucking Russians. Or, and I'm like... Oh, I hate when they do this shit. It just drives me. It, my, the continuity wonk in me just goes apeshit when they do stuff like that. Well, see, know?
2: all you need is Jeff Johns to write the next big summer event <laughs> oh, for DC, which is going to be explained why all the ghosts can come back. <laughs> it's no, Ghostbusters I, 3. That's right. Dog, Gene of DC.
0: <laughs> I, I do want to clarify. I like John. Don't get me wrong. I don't want anybody out there to think I'm hating on the guy because I like him. But the problem is he he suffers from the from the same thing as every other human being does he's not infallible i, I he's he's had such a, a such a good batting record that i think fans tend to forget that he's had some clunkers i mean i would chalk most of infinite crisis up as a kind of a clunker i didn't think it worked i don't know what the purpose of the story was and and I I really and ultimately at the end of the day I I don't think it was a good story and I never really forgave him for the shit with uh, with Alexander Luthor and Superboy mm-hmm. why take I know the two
2: shining examples of yeah.
0: heroes from that into that mm-hmm. story and make them into the evil bastards in the next I don't get that at I've never yeah understood. that was very odd really I mean now granted. I've come to kind of like Superboy Prime as a vi- He actually right. kind of works. You know, so I can kind of forgive that to a degree, but it still doesn't make a lot of sense. No. But Alexander Luthor? I mean, that was the whole that was the whole stick with Earth 3 right. was that the heroes were villains and the villains were heroes. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know. I'm I'm, you know, <laughs> wait, and here's it's the, a more complicated
1: totally... Earth 3 now.
0: <laughs> Speaking
2: of earth threes so here's here 's a totally random thing, and maybe either of you in your readings can can answer this for me, okay, so the multiverse is back i, I fine, right came back at the end of infinite crisis there's fifty two multiverses or maybe more according to final crisis, who knows right what I want to know is when the hell did they have a meeting and decide which Earth was which because as much as I love. JSA in the the Kingdom special that recently. Did you read that? They did the four, the or the three or four single issue specials as part of the Gog. No, you line. know what?
0: No, I did. I kind of, sort of feel bad that I didn't. But that was about the time. That I threw down the gauntlet and uh, and I don't know that it's aired yet. I can't remember, but Chris and I talked about this in an episode. It's probably going to come up in our next comics one that that gets posted. But anyway, I made a comment about I'm fucking done with one shots. <laughs> I'm not doing it anymore. You know these. What I mean by that is these events that pop up like this. Yeah. Where a regular title like JSA suddenly they have an event and there's like 15 different one shots sure. that are supposedly tie in, but they and never fucking do. Put I put them I, in the book. Said I'm done with that shit. I might download them, but I'm not fucking buying them so no
2: well to answer your that,
0: question a very long <laughs> no i didn't buy it
2: without spoiling anything and and definitely the kingdom special should have been an issue of jsa and i if you're reading that storyline
0: i'm all you, read up on it, so feel free to spoil it
2: you well i mean even the i mean my my <laughs> weird point here doesn't doesn't spoil anything but at one point the, the kingdom come superman makes a comment to one of the characters you know somebody's like are you Superman? And he's like, I'm the Superman of Earth, Earth 22, yeah, yeah whatever, or yeah. or whatever. And I'm thinking, well, who the fuck decided that your Earth was 22? You know, it's. I mean, I understand that. Well, we as comic readers from the you know from the pre-crisis right. era had had numbered all these universes, or or maybe the Flashes had all got together and decided, okay, you'll be 22 and you'll be X and you'll be. But in this newly created multiverse. Suddenly, everybody knows the number of their Earth. Who the, who the hell numbered them? No oh,
0: know what you know, could be an awesome event? I just thought of this. The War <laughs> for Earth 1, where yeah. they all get pissed at each other and say, no, we're Earth yeah, 1. Yeah, exactly. They all fight for the title of Earth 1. That could be one kick-ass event right there. I want to see that book.
2: I mean, at the very least, you know, realistically, if you want to call the comics realistic anywhere, they should just be, <laughs> no, I'm from Earth. No, right. I'm from Earth. Well, I'm from I'm from a different Earth. You know, just I'll give them that. that. But no, I'm from Earth's thirty-two. Well,
1: it's, yeah, it's like the uh, American Indians back in the day. Like all the names of the tribe were basically what in whatever language they were. Basically, every tribe called themselves the people.
2: The people, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It just it just struck me as odd, and and just kind of pulled me out of the issue because it's like, yeah, and, and I guess that just kind of comes from. The whole infinite crisis 52 thing again is that i haven't as a reader been able to get a good grip on who knows what about the multiverse because it just it didn't seem like every character should suddenly know that i mean we as readers didn't know until the end of 52 that the multiverse had really been reborn and then it all of a sudden seemed that in every other title in dc Oh, characters could just pop in and out of different multiverse or different universes. And, oh, yes, well, I've I've always been aware that Earth three exists and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, no, as a reader, this shit was supposed to have been gone years ago. So why does suddenly everybody know? I mean, maybe I missed something.
0: What I find completely laughable is, you know, between Crisis on Infinite Earths, Zero Hour, Infinite Crisis, And 52, you know, wasn't the mission here to streamline and simplify the DC universe for new readers? I I would, you know, I would love to know what a kid today that is the same age I was when I started getting into DC with shit like uh, Legion of Superheroes and and All-Star Squadron and stuff. I would love to know. They must be lost, man. They must be Why don't absolute... you why don't
1: you why don't you use your own kids as guinea pigs?
0: Yeah, I guess you know I I could. But the, the problem is I can't hand my kids today's comics. Uh, that that was another thing I was going to go. Yeah. On. So one of the latest issues of Superman that I read has at the very end of the issue Brainiac comes to Earth, right? It comes to Metropolis in his big skyship thing, and he's going to bottle the city or whatever the hell's going on. Steve Lombard walks out onto, I don't know, a window or a balcony or whatever, looks up in the sky and says, Christ Almighty. Now, I'm not the most prudish person, but this is Superman, right? This is a book. Granted, I want to be able to enjoy it as a 40-year-old adult, but at the same rate, Superman should always, always be a child-accessible book. Right. I just feel that way. he He's the most iconic superhero. he He's supposed to be pure. He's supposed to be virtuous. This should be a book that you are always going to feel comfortable handing to an eight year old, a five year old, a 12 year old, whatever, and going here, kid, here's comics. And when I suddenly can't hand a child a Superman book, there's something fucking broken at DC Comics. You know, Christ Almighty is not something that I feel comfortable handing to an 8-year-old, you know. And so yeah, I would love to be able to to use my kids as guinea pigs, but unfortunately I, it's not like when we were kids. I mean, granted Chris and I read shit that we shouldn't have been reading sure. when we were kids, you know. But it's nowhere this, I mean, this brings the, me to a little segue
1: actually, cuz I was ahead. just reading those Swamp Thing sagas.
0: Oh yeah, they had some gonna...
1: pretty they had some pretty adult uh adult stuff and a little bit of adult adultish language going on in them uh, that I didn't really like think about as much when I read them then as as reading them now
0: but uh, I agree with you on that but still I'm telling you man you you have no idea like green green lantern or green lantern core every other issue somebody's getting either their head yeah, squished or punched puking off.
2: up blood
0: or yeah, the the <laughs> rage of the Green Lantern or rage what was it rage of the Red the Ren- Lanterns rather yeah they're they're puking blood through the entire issue and I'm like you well, know there's no basically there's
1: R no rated gore when we were kids gore that would have got a movie R rated will will make it onto TV and it's full yeah
0: you're you right know, no matter Fair. what
1: they'll cut out the, they'll cut out somebody saying oh shit but the you know the head getting squashed will end up right on you know network tv that's i guess
0: it's a sign of the times not, not I a guess. problem
1: anymore as
0: See, i don't anymore. even know i
2: even think that it might just be i mean you said that you as a 40 year old can you know you don't mind reading it well and it's like comics when we were kids weren't I don't think at that point written for kids necessarily. I mean, everybody says, you know, Oh, you go back in the silver age and they were just writing these simplistic stories for kids. And maybe that's true, but I never got the impression that a lot of the books, I mean, you know, Batman and the he's anything really the X-Men for sure. not, weren't written down, you know, they weren't written down for kids. They just, they were following, you know, they were following the comics code. You know, everybody's, oh, a a horrible comics code. A
1: kid could read them, but an adult could get something out of them, too. I think
0: think somewhere, and it's hard for me to nail it down, but I'm going to throw out a number. I'm going to say 1983. I'm thinking somewhere in the era of 1983, both companies suddenly came to the realization that their target audience was no longer children. That their right. target audience was or, – or maybe not their target audience, but the audience they actually had versus what they thought was their target audience were really kids of about our age, of about – well, let me see. In 83, we were about 15, 16 years old. Somewhere between 16 and Playboy. I remember Playboy doing an article on this right around that same time because I remember reading the article and going, holy shit, that's me. Wait it was a minute. Playboy has, Playboy has articles?
1: That's the best part, didn't you know? <laughs> That's the but not, reason everybody reads it.
0: When I was in the... This was a few years later, because I was in the service by this point. I was probably 20, 21, somewhere around... Between 19 and 21, I remember seeing this article that was in Playboy. It was talking about comic collectors or comic readers, one of the two. And the thing was giving statistics on the average comic book geek. And it was a male between the ages of... It was like 16 and 24 spends X amount of dollars a week, which was something like 40 bucks or something like that, and was giving all these... And right down the fucking line, man, it was me to a T. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, okay. So they, by that point, by the late 80s, early 90s, they had, had gotten it. They definitely knew by that point. But I'm suspecting right around 83 was the point where they started to figure it out because that's when you started to suddenly... You know, DC especially took a big shift, you know, not too long after, you know, we got the crisis, which was supposed to retool, refine, and I would argue even somewhat mature the DC universe. It was a clear departure from the Silver Age is, what I guess, what I'm getting right. at. But you also started to get stuff like Dark Knight, V for Vendetta, um, Watchmen, that kind of stuff. So they clearly realized, or at least we're we're making a conscious effort to to get away from the the kitty angle and get more to what they what they either knew or whether they just strongly suspected was actually who was reading their their books and i think maybe uh, marvel might even have been on board before then because you know stan tells all the stories about You know, going to colleges, you know, in the the late 70s and, you know, realizing that that's who was actually reading Marvel was the, uh, you know, the so-called older, smarter kids, you know, as opposed to DC was the kiddie books, you know. Which
2: would be about right, because, I mean, what, Marvel started at 63 and then, you know, Spider-Man in high school is those kids who were attracted to, Uh, you know, the high school age Spider-Man grew up and went to college, that would be late 60s, early 70s.
0: Well, what, what do you think about that? What I said about, I mean, do you agree that Superman should be child accessible or do you think those days are, are long gone where, you know, no, that...
2: I i fully agree. I mean, I, I think that not again, you know, cause everybody says, Oh, well you don't want them written for kids. I don't want comics written for kids, for kids. Like I said, in the degree that you would write down to them. But I think the majority of Marvel and DC should be you know whether it's going back to the comics code or whatever but i think it should be accessible for kids because how else are you going to get kids interested in comics in reading comics and right you know and Yes, kids can handle stuff, and I know, you know, whoa, video games and Grand Theft Auto and you know, rap music or whatever. They've kids are, you know, are so much wiser and exposed to so much more. Well, bullshit. You know, kids are, uh. and yeah. There's, there's more stuff around, but on the same token, unless you cram stuff down their throat, they're not going to, you know, repeat it back to you. And it, it's just, there are there are ways as a writer around things that right. you know, a simple little change you don't have to put something well in, that's the thing it's you know? a
1: little hard it's a little harder to write to appeal to adults and to, and to kids mm. and to make it acceptable for kids but it's all the better when you can pull that off you know those right that those end up being the, the, the things that become iconic and and huge you know the Wizard of Oz I, and stuff like that
0: and well i my thing with this my my thing with this I agree with what you guys are saying my problem with this or my my issue I guess is that purely when it comes to Superman I, I think any other comic book character any, any other company any team whatever I think you can get away with things like you know like the Punisher for example the Punisher exists uh, yeah. in both the mainstream Marvel Universe and in the Marvel Max books where they can mm-hmm. say fuck and they can show tits and all that that's fine I don't want to see a Superman Max book, you know, no. where, where Superman exists in a world where people say fuck and they show tits. I don't want to see that Superman book because that, it, it, it takes Superman is on the
1: Mickey Mouse or, level of. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Precisely,
0: precisely, you know, for better or for worse, Superman, exactly. He's Mickey Mouse level. You know, he, mm-hmm. he should always, no matter what age you are, you should always be able to pick that book up and feel safe. I'm safe with this title. I'm safe as a grandmother handing this to my grandchild, you know? That that's what I that's what I'm getting at and I argued this point about Batman a while back. I think I might have done it in the Dark Knight episode. And you know what? I I'm going to kind of backpedal on that because I think Batman should be a character like the Punisher that could exist both as the you know, he has Adam Past or and the Bold. He, you he know, has. And, or as the Dark Knight or Punisher Max type. And you're right. And he has existed in all those. I think that's fine with that character. Uh, despite that being my primary complaint with Dark Knight. I, I, it does to a well, degree. He's also it,
1: iconic for being the darker character. Superman is, Superman is truth, justice, the American way.
0: Right. Right. Exactly.
1: Basically, you know, I mean that that's pretty much where truth justice the american way came from right was- well, well
0: yeah exactly well i mean look how pissed off people got when the announcement came out not long ago about you know the next superman well actually i think they said it with all dc comic movies but when dark oh, Knight yeah. hit, <laughs> they had this big announcement that from now on all the dc movies were going to be dark and gritty including right. superman I'm like and I mean, everybody that I know went apeshit. They're like, "What? Dark and gritty Superman? What?" Why? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's because Dark Knight was such a big yeah. fucking deal. But you know that that works for that character. He is dark and gritty, mm-hmm. or, or at least one of his aspects is. But Superman? I mean, when has Superman no. ever been dark and gritty and you know punching people's heads off? You know, I mean that's dark not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <Basically. laughs> But uh, I don't know. Hey, now I think kind of we bring should. It
2: around. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: I think we should take a short break, and it'll give me a chance I to hook to- up. Yeah, we got a su- surprise guest. I got uh, Stephen Hawking's gonna come in, and explain. Oh, He's gonna explain how all these different DC universes can exist, and how all the commu- you know continuity meshes actually, with one single sweeping computation. So stick around for that this conversation between Green Captain Scott and I will be continued in next month's uh, Comic Monthly Monday Uh, please tune in in the meantime we'll be back with uh, our review of The Walking Dead issue number 3
0: and there came a day a day unlike any other when Earth's mightiest heroes and heroines found themselves united against a common threat on that day, the Avengers were born to fight the foes no single superhero could withstand. Through the years, their roster has prospered, changing many times, but their glory has never been denied. Heed the call, then, for now, the Avengers Assemble! The Avengers Assemble Podcast, available now at AvengersAssemblePodcast.libsyn.com.
1: All right, we're back, um, and now it's time to do what we do every uh, month on our Comic Monthly Monday. We're going to do the next episode in the Walking Dead uh, uh, comic series of zombie comics, and uh, we're up to issue number three. And uh, we'll have uh, we'll let Scott do a little uh, synopsis of it before we start dissecting it.
0: Okay, so we're starting into issue three, and uh, right off the bat, um, I really like this cover. It's a very different cover. If you take the series as a whole, all the issues we've seen so far, the, the cover's very different. Um, nothing to scream, you know, zombie comic or even horror comic. It's just uh, Rick, his wife Lori, and uh, their little boy against a white background. So, very different cover for this series. Um, Normal creative team of uh, Robert Kirkman um, with Tony Moore still doing the uh, pencils and inks. Getting right into the story, where we left off with the last issue was where Rick was uh, unexpectedly uh, and happily reunited with his family. Um, you know His ass was saved by, uh, by Glenn when he was in Atlanta, and, and now you know, Glenn brought him to this camp. Uh, he finds his wife and his little boy, and he also finds his old police partner, Shane. Um, who Laurie says, you know, Shane basically saved them. They, they wouldn't have made it without him. Um, Shane brings him in and introduces him to the other people in the camp. You know, he's already met Glenn. Um, he also meets uh, Alan, kind of heavy set white guy, um, you know, the bearded guy. He's got a couple of, of twin boys and uh, his wife, um, Donna. Uh, Dale, an older guy with a RV camper that everybody's basically living in. Um, Jim, real quiet uh, kind of country guy, uh, Carol and her little girl, um, two, I believe they're supposed to be late teens, early 20 uh, twin sisters, uh, Amy and Andrea, and I think that's pretty much everybody. Um, they all kind of leave uh, Rick and Lori alone to, to catch up. and we switch to a nice uh, nighttime scene where where they basically talk and, and catch up on what's going on and Lori feels bad for having left Rick you know behind when when they uh, abandon their small town to try to go uh, and find Lori's parents uh, in Atlanta. And Rick, you know, I sure sure that you know it's okay. He understands you know what her reasoning was, and he might have had to do the same thing, you know, where their situations reversed. And then there's a really nice moment I really like. Um, this this was my favorite moment of the of the issue where suddenly there's a lull in the conversation, and neither one of them are talking, and, and Lori realizes that that Rick is shaking, and Rick just tells her, you know, with with everything he's seen and and gone through in the past couple of days that. He hadn't had time to be scared, but now it, it's basically all come racing to, to catch up to him. And he realizes the impact of just all the crazy shit that he's gone through uh, to get to this point. And I, I like that. I think that's a very realistic um, moment in the book and just just a, a, a nice character moment. Um, switch to daytime and... You know, Rick uh, gets up, you know, and kind of just has a moment with his family while they're still sleeping and just to appreciate, you know, that he found them and that they're safe and he's with them. Uh, He gets up, uh, meets Shane. You know, Shane tells him that they're going to go hunting a little later and that, uh, you know, if he wants a shower to uh, go ahead and use Dale's camper. So, you know, he uh, goes into Dale's camper and is surprised by Dale is actually in there and he didn't notice him at first and uh Dale pulls him aside and says uh look I don't want to start anything but I think something's going on with uh with Shane and your wife you know Shane's got his eye on her and all that and he's not real happy about you being back and Rick kind of blows him off you know and kind of rolls his eyes you know and he's just a crazy old man and he you know he thinks uh, Shane's his best friend you know there's there's nothing there he's got nothing to worry about he totally trusts his friend and his wife So he and Shane go off to do their hunting. Uh, Lori and uh, most of the other women go off to do uh, laundry. And they have a little conversation about, you know, how, uh, what's her name? Donna's kind of bitching about the fact that, you know, they're only having to do this shit because they're women. And Laurie's like, you know, look, you know, this doesn't have anything to do with sexism. It's, you know, basic, you know, basically this is how it is. They have to survive and... The men are going off to do the hunting, and the women are just going to have to, you know, do the, do the laundry. So I, I like that. I also thought that was kind of a realistic moment where you realize that, you know, that this, that the world is going to change, and some things are going to revert back uh, in, in well, certain aspects. I
1: liked how she said, "Does anybody here know how to shoot a gun?"
0: <laughs> yeah, they all <laughs> so know the how next- to
1: shoot. They all know how to shoot guns, and we don't, you know. <laughs> So that's plain pragmatism at that point, you know. Mm-hmm. But as we know, that all changes.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, the other moment um, that I really liked in this book, the other moment I thought was very realistic and, and very uh, very human, but also just heartbreakingly sad, is uh, a moment between Rick's little boy and uh, Sophia, uh, the, the little girl in the story where uh, they're playing uh, in the sandbox or, or in, I guess, just in a field. And uh, Sophia asks uh, Carl, is Rick's little boy, you know, uh, do you think? And she asks him, do you think my daddy will come back? And he says, well, your daddy's dead. And she says, well, your daddy was dead and he came back. And Carl says, well, my daddy wasn't dead. He was sick. You know, we had to leave him behind, but he wasn't dead. And uh and then the little girl just looks, you know, just totally crestfallen and she says, Oh, and then there's a moment of silence and she says, I miss my daddy. And I that scene just breaks my heart. I I think it's a very realistic you know, moment with a child. And children so seldom get done correctly in comics. You know, you look at somebody like Franklin Richards and I, I just think that child's never portrayed realistically as a cutesy a child.
1: caricature sort of yeah
0: exactly and, and but this moment was just perfect I, I think that this is a conversation that kids you know i think it's believable i think that's a, a very real child conversation and that that just the look on her face just it really can break your heart you know it it looks totally realistic um moving on from that uh we cut to to rick and shane Uh, Hunting and they just, you know, they have a little bit of conversation about, you know, what's been going on and what the station house looked like the last time that Rick saw it and all this. And they come across a zombie munching down on a deer. And it's a very gruesome sight. I mean, beautifully rendered, gruesome to look at. And uh, Shane speculates, you know, could they get the deer away from this zombie? And you know, would it be okay to eat it? Um, and I, I got to stop here. This this was the one moment in this book that kind of makes me scratch my head. How did the zombie catch a deer? You know, I mean, they're so slow moving, and you know, unless this deer yeah. was sick or or dying or could have been. It know. could
1: have been maybe somebody had shot it trying to hunt and it was injured and it just like was stumbling around and the zombie got it and you know it could have been half dead you know you gotta assume the zombie got it before it died right cause they like a, like their food alive obviously or they eat each other so. right or maybe just freshly dead who knows but
0: just, just, one, of I, yeah. just one, one of those things yeah one of those things, things
1: I... you stumble upon in the woods
0: yep um so we cut back to the women um, having their little talk, and uh, Lori tells the story of how she and, and Rick met. Um, they basically wrap up their their laundry and all that, and have a little girl talk. They're headed back to camp, and they did not notice a a zombie near them in the woods who, who comes stumbling out as they're walking back. They're not paying any attention, and they don't hear it, and it damn near chows down on Donna. And her husband is frantic. he's up on top of the camper keeping lookout and he's trying to kill the thing, but she's totally frozen. She can't get out of the way. she's she's just struck by the fear. and all of a sudden Dale comes out of nowhere with a hatchet and lobs the thing's heads off he, uh, lobs its head off and while she's sitting there trying, basically collecting herself and, and realizing that you know she could have died and he just saved her life, you know everybody comes running up to see what's going on and the head is not dead it's still you know alive you know it's still undead and even though it's just nothing but a head it's still looking at them and biting and and if it could get at them it it would and everybody just really loses it everybody freaks out they can't believe this head is still you know trying to get them if it could Cut back to Shane and Rick. Um, they're still looking at the zombie chowing down on the deer. Um, Rick says, well, yeah, you know, I'm not – nobody in my family's eating this deer. You know, you can forget that idea. And Shane says, yeah, I think you're right. And they're just standing there basically sp- talking about the zombie and speculating on what's going on with it when suddenly it notices them and comes at them. Um, Rick smacks it in the head with a hatchet, and that's the end of that zombie – And then they hear a gunshot from the camp. So they, you know, in a mad dash, they run back to the camp. Rick's freaking out, uh, calling Lori's name. He runs to her and is holding her. And she's very upset, talking about, you know, how the head was still alive and all that. The crowd kind of disperses, goes back to their lives. And we get a really nice shot of Shane watching... Uh, Rick and Lori and just the look on his face you can tell that uh you know the the seeds already been planted to both Rick and us as the reader you know by uh by Dale that something was up with Shane and and you know that he uh wanted Laurie for his, for himself and you can definitely see that in in the look he has here on his face and that's pretty much where the the issue ends just on kind of an ominous note with that with that look that he's got you know he's not he's not happy with that with the way the, the situation's worked out for him yeah, and he's lost his, his shot at Lori. so that's uh that's number three man what do you think
1: I think this is a this is a great episode this is where or episode or issue this is where um basically i think this is where it begins. This is where, you know, the... the uh, there's a, sort of... Everything was a prelude before this. Had just established... <clears throat> Obviously, the main character. Rip, Rick's the main character. But this is where... Boom. All the elements are put together here for... You know, the... the at least... Near future of this... Story arc. You know, of... You've got all the... It, a bunch of characters boom, here you go, here's, an, here's the characters you're going to get to know. Some may be better than others, you know, <laughs> or mm-hmm. some may be for longer than others, but, you know, here's your basic beginning set of characters, and you've, you're have you just starting to throw the all the elements of interplay and drama into it because, really, there wasn't much drama b- beyond whether is R- Rick going to live or die because he's just making his way to this point. But now you've got Shane, who might be a little jealous of Rick, and you know, might have thought Rick was out of the picture, and now all of a sudden, you know, he's he thought he might have a chance at Rick's wife. You got you know all, all sorts of things, and all these other characters who we don't really know now, but you're gonna you know you're starting to get insights into them, like with uh, Sophia's conversation with Rick's son mm-hmm. about her father. So this is where it's really started. This is where the the dynamics of this comic all of them are starting to really show up for the first time with the way you know you you really get to see how kirkman writes the characters interacting with each other and how well he does it how realistically he does it without being melodramatic or cheesy or or using stereotypes you know or without actually you know there's there's lots of come comic writers who you, you know like your Alan Moores or your Frank Millers who are you know we're stereotype busters but at the same time they're not you know their, peop- their characters aren't speaking as real characters they're speaking right. in a dramatic voice you know they're more operatic or something these are these are this is down and nitty gritty reality you know document documentary omniscient point of view documentary it's great you know the people he's trying to keep it like real people act and, and you can tell in this issue that he really knows how to do it really well and very subtly and uh, the you know the combination between that writing and the art and uh, the quality of the facial expressions and the way you know subtle things are communicated in this is just genius It's it's yep. very 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 nice very nice. Very nice.
0: I I believe that too. You know, I I definitely feel that way, and you know, I I like what you said about the the stereotypes because, you know, I I think that's a that's a hell of a tightrope to have to walk. You know, because on the one hand, you don't want to do too much stereotyping because, you know, then then it be it, it can start to feel like a cliche. It can start to feel, you know, overused or or whatever. But on the same – at the same rate, you know, as much as people may not like it or, or may not like to –
1: You run into stereotypes it, all the time.
0: Oh, yeah. Stereotypes exist for a reason. And so I think in order to, to strike that balance of realism, to a degree, you have to use some stereotypes. You, know, you have to at least acknowledge them and, and if you want believability.
1: And here's my, and here's my feelings on that and, and – and and when it's done with as opposed to a good and bad writer um and, and kirkman of course in my opinion is a good writer and the way the way you do it is you have a character and and stereotypes can work really in your favor as a writer too because once a stereotype shows up people have you know, he's a stereotype so people have set opinions of how he's how this character is going to react or she is going to react or do things based on, you know, what you believe that's, that stereotype. And there's a lot of characters in here who are, you know, stereotypes on the surface who you very, you know, are, you very rapidly find out aren't stereotypes, but then there are characters who are sort of stereotype, but as time goes on, you start getting little subtleties and insights into their character that, that it round that start rounding him out and that's just like real people that you know that you know you meet this guy and you go this guy is just your typical redneck you know blah 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 but as you get to know him longer you start to fi- you know you start to figure out those little quirks And make him different from everybody else outside their stereotype or outside of whatever that start making him their own you know there's very few really pure <laughs> stereotypes who just conform there are. And a lot of those people just sort of take it as a point of pride and use it as a way of getting attention. They're like, Yeah, I'm a bimbo, I'm gonna be the ultimate bimbo, you know. I'm gonna find out what bimboness is and just embrace every aspect of it or you know, oh yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a pimp, you know. That's that's what being a pimp is. It's embracing this stereotype and playing it like you're on stage, you know. So there's all the extremes of this and Kirkman knows how to I think Kirkman pretty much has a good idea of the percentage the odds of when you have a group of people how many of them would be real stereotypes how many of them are going to be real oddballs you know and how many of them are going to be this sort of character and it sort of works out like you would in normal society you know so you have you know for the for the most part most of the people are pretty average your average demographic of people um something that changes that's that's um early on in this that makes it very un romero like is there's no black characters yet if it were a romero zombie movie one of the main characters right now probably rick would be black cuz he you know that's a theme that runs through his things but it also by it, you know that that will change also in here and that works and that's pretty much you know it's 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 interesting. There's probably what like eight or nine, ten characters now. So yeah, something like that. Statistically, yeah. statistically, in the next two or three characters, by the law of just the number demographically of people in the United States. They probably should, and and their geographical location, they probably should be meeting like a black person or two pretty soon. And I think it actually works out that way, you know? So I don't know. I I doubt he's using a mathematical, you know, any kind of mathematical equation to work out who's going to, you know, like the, the, the chances of running into like a Hasidic Jew or a Mexican are probably pretty slim. It's possible. That you could run into a, you know, a bunch of, you know, I mean, uh, may you know, there haven't been, you know, maybe they should have run into some hippies or some. Uh, I've noticed a lot of the characters there aren't a lot of younger, ca- like, twenty-something characters or teenager characters in this. I I notice there's not a lot of them. Everybody seems to like a lot of the characters, and this is running into the future of the book, which I shouldn't do, but I. Are a little bit older, and I don't know if that's maybe because it's more from Rick's point of view. It's like mostly like 30s and up, and like kids, and with a few younger characters, which is yeah, that's true, which is which is interesting because you'd think a lot more younger characters might survive just because they're a little more resilient and, and energetic. But I don't know, that's just the demographics of this. But so far, you know, yeah, so far, all the characters are really nobody's overplayed you know nothing's over dramatic it really feels like a group of people who don't know each other who are just trying to hold it together the only sort of off scene is is where um he he warns rick about his partner and it's just like you know i think he's got eyes for him which is a very personal and uh, intense thing to say to somebody you just met the night before.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that too, actually. Even
1: though he's in he's in his home, you know, sort of getting out of the shower, so you know, as as you said, Rick just sort of shrugs it off as he's a crazy old guy just spouting his mouth off. But at the same time, it um it really shows that he's actually very perceptive, and he's like sort of the first person. Who's really realizing the gravity of the situation they're in, to the point of where he's going thinking to himself, maybe, yeah, you know, society's kind of collapsed. The rules are a little bit more plastic now, and uh, there's a little more wiggle room. You know, this could, you know, this guy wants this guy's wife. If something were to happen to Rick, you know, Shane might not necessarily go to jail <laughs> he might just end up with rick's wife he could potentially go out hunting with him and say uh rick didn't come back i had to shoot him he got bit by a zombie and died you know
0: well it's, i gotta i gotta wonder about dale's motivation i mean why, why would you do that i mean why would you say you know not only was it very early you know and, yeah. and he didn't know the guy like you, you pointed out he but would also react. yeah exactly i mean what what would possess you you know I mean, what, what would possess you in, in just a normal, everyday, real-world situation, but especially here you are facing the zombie apocalypse, and you're going to go and tell somebody you just met who has a gun, yeah. something crazy? like I, I don't know. I, just, I have to wonder about that guy's motivation. I mean, what, he has no idea what Rick has gone through, but he knows that by this point most of the other survivors have gone through at least some form of personal hell. So wouldn't you kind of expect he's it?
1: Being, he's being pragmatic about it and thinking to himself, you know, maybe he's seen this with Shane and seen that this is like a character, f- you know. that You know, Shane's a cop and he's a big guy and he knows how to shoot a gun. And he probably knows how to handle himself in a cop-like situation. But Shane isn't really a leader at all. He's like, you know, Rick is... Rick, you know, I mean, in this, in this, in this comic, Rick is like, you know, the, the prototype of the kind of person you would need to lead other people. If you were going to have somebody who's leading other people, they're going to have to be like Rick, Rick is tough, you know, this whole, th- all these comics are sort of showing you how exactly, how tough Rick is, you know, how, what, what could happen to this, what more could happen to this guy? You know, before he gives up. And, uh, so, you know, maybe he realized right at first that Rick is more of that kind of guy. And he might have even had an idea of that just from hearing, you know, Lori and Carl and Shane talking about Rick. You know, because, um, you know, definitely there'd been, you know, there'd been talk about Rick before that because you know, Carl and, uh, Sophia have the conversation about her dad. And she's like, well, you, you know, your dad was dead. So they, they'd they been talking about his dad. So maybe he, he thought this guy might be more of what we need than, sh- you know, he might be more useful for us than Shane. He might be more of a, you know, of a stable and solid person. And, uh, he's, he probably thought he, he probably knew, this guy's not going to believe me that his best friend is, you know, thinking ill of it. But if you'd also, if you were hit, if you were Dale and you noticed that and, like, really had the insight that this guy is not happy about Rick coming back and he might not be stable, you know, that you might want to avoid, you know, he might think, you know, this guy might kill this other guy, so you might just be trying to save a life, you know, he might just have been trying to save a life by planting the bug in Rick's ear, so when Shane would do something that Rick would normally blow off or not notice, you know, he was would be that much more likely to pick up on it. So he might have been doing, you know, the little whisper in your ear, you know, putting in just that crumb of doubt, so, you know, as to speed up the thought process that Rick would eventually, you know, figure out before. So Rick could figure out Shane was not happy about it before... Shane figured out what he could do to get rid of Rick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically. So, <laughs> it shows Dale's really kind of kind of thinking ahead and 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 you know that he's a he's a very smart character, but and he's old. So, I'm thinking he thinks you know, I'm I'm assuming a lot at this point, but you know, I might as well analyze cuz we're here to talk <laughs> shit about the the comic, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, he he he's he probably figures. You know, he's probably been the sort of de facto leader up to this point, and he's probably like, you know, Rick's as smart as me. I've got some more experience, but Rick's got you know Rick's stronger. Rick will be you know Rick should be our leader. And but you know, I definitely am going to carve my place as somebody who really you know who you should really you know ask what's going on. If you want to know what's going on, the first person you should probably go go to is Dale cuz he's probably more likely to know you know, to be have been paying attention to the situation and maybe have more of a view of the big picture. And that's and he's the oldest he and his wife are I think the two oldest people there. So that makes sense.
0: Now, Donna's not his wife though.
1: Oh, that's right. Right, Donna's uh, Donna's the other guy's the other
0: guy's wife. Yeah, no, Dale Dale's the one that's getting it on with the two young girls. Lucky old bastard. He he's uh, or at least that that was the that was the the uh, thing that was getting under Donna's skin right there at the beginning was that it was implied that he was he was getting getting it on with both those girls. Together, but whether that was really true or not, I don't know. Oh, probably not. But uh, one of them definitely, but not. I don't know how right, he was necessarily right. getting both of them.
1: But yeah, she was just. That's right. She was sort of clucking about it. That's right. It's hard. It's 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 really hard to keep track. There's so many characters that have been in and out of this book, and now rereading it, it's it, and you get the future. Of what's going to happen to these people, mixed up, because in in the reading of of the the Walking Dead, the next episode I'm or the next issue I'm reading is uh, issue number fifty seven, so a lot has happened <laughs> between what I'm currently reading and this one, so it's really hard sometimes to keep it all in in proper perspective of what the dynamics
0: between everybody is. Well, I think we've gone very long for this episode, so I think that pretty thoroughly covers uh, Walking Dead number three. Um, come back this time next month, third uh, third Monday of the month, and we will be talking more comics and more Walking Dead. We'll have number four to uh, lab about. All right, man. We'll catch you guys next time. Yep. Be good.
1: Or, or be safe or whatever
0: visit our website at com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners twotruefreaks.libson.com is spelled t-w-o t-r-u-e f-r-e-a-k-s dot which is l-i-b-s-y-n dot com
2: you can
1: email us directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the 2 True Freaks podcast.
2: 2 True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corr of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.